You are listening to the Balkan Bread Podcast. This is a podcast created to connect diaspora worldwide by sharing each other's stories. and welcome to another episode of the Balkan Bread podcast. My name's Amina and thank you guys so much for being here. So recently we've had so many diverse and cool individuals on the podcast, you know, people who are having these crazy business ideas, which I really admire. A lot of cool personalities, and I'm super excited because we haven't really had someone yet who's really from that whole blogging world. So blogger, influencer, whatever you want to call it, we're going to go a little more in depth on that and just share her personal story, which I'm super excited for you guys to hear because I think when we see these influencers and people with, you know, so many followers, we think, oh my gosh, like this person, you have this certain perception almost, but in reality, that's not always the case of that person. And it really starts from a humble beginning. And that's kind of what I want to stress to everyone listening is that you don't have to have a lot to get started to be successful. So Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest. So we have Adeleta Avdic, and she is a skincare-crazed fashionista. I'm just going by her Instagram bio because I think it describes it pretty well. So very into fashion and skincare. She's also traveled to quite a few different countries, which is really exciting. And she's originally from Bosnia. Like most of us, she came to the States when she was young after the war started. So she's been very successful with her blog. She also has a podcast, which is really exciting. I've been enjoying listening to that as well. So super excited to welcome her to the episode. And she's just going to tell you guys a little bit more about herself. Hey everyone. I feel like we should be speaking in Bosnian. I know we were emailing to make sure we can both speak in Bosnian because it's a, it's definitely my second language now, even though it was technically my first language when I came to the U.S. But um, you said it perfectly. I'm a skincare craze fashionista and you said my name perfectly too. I can't tell you how many people, I'm sure you have the same problem, but people do not know how to say Bosnian names ever. I've gotten so many different iterations over the years. It's gotten kind of interesting. And one thing that always comes to mind when people say my name is I remember when I was in elementary school and they were announcing student of the month and they said my name so wrong. I honestly didn't think it was me because it was just a totally different person. And my friends were like, you're the only person this could be. So I think you should get up. And it was me, but it's just so funny how people always pronounce our names just so incorrectly. Yeah, it's, I've gotten, I actually, I got really nervous. Um, I graduated from college two years ago and I was 
we were getting ready, we were lining up and I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, are they going to say my name right? Because they never, <laughs> no, seriously, they were like, well, we practiced, but they obviously didn't call everyone's names individually. And so me and my friend were getting really nervous. Um, he's not, he wasn't Bosnian, he's from Latin America, but we're like, oh my God, like they're totally going to mess it up. I was like, I was freaking out. I was like, there's no way, like this is college, like they need to get it right. And so I saw some people like writing it on their little um, announcement, like cards, like your little number or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then when we were lining up and we're about to go on stage, the girl in front of me, she actually leaned over and she, she was like, I could tell she was telling the person how to pronounce her name. And I was like, that's super smart. I'm going to do that too. <laughs> so I literally did that because I didn't want them to like screw up my name at my college graduation. So. They kind of did the same thing too. There was someone who was listening. They had little headpieces in. And so the person that was telling me and kind of ushering us to walk forward was basically talking to the person who was announcing the names. So I thought that was a really good system because otherwise, yeah, you're getting your college, you're, you're basically getting your college degree. It's like, you should be able to say my name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They did a good job. Like whoever they had as the person was really good. So I was kind of like, I think they'll be fine, but you know how it is for us. <laughs> <laughs> so I am originally from Bosnia. Like you said, I live in Tucson, Arizona now and quick, you know, 10 second spiel about my life journey. We moved to the U S when I was five and we lived in Philadelphia for about three and a half years and then my dad got a job in LA. So we ended up moving to LA and that's really where I considered home and where I grew up because that was the longest place I'd ever lived. It still is. Um, and then once I graduated high school, I decided to go to University of Arizona, which is in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I am now. I decided to stay after I graduated because I got a job and I met my now fiance here. So those two things kind of kept me here in Tucson. And I will say that I love it here because it's definitely a a slower, quieter pace of life while I love the city. And for me personally, I am obviously such a city girl. I love LA. I love New York City. I love that energy. But I think for every day, in order for me to stay sane and just focused on my work and not be distracted by events and flashy, you know, restaurant openings and things like that, I really need to live in a place that's a little bit more grounded and that doesn't have that much going on. So that's kind of my story. Um, I started blogging in 2012. It was a college project and it was kind of my final project um, in order to get my degree in my professional business writing class. And she basically said, you know, write 10 blog posts about one topic. And back then I was really into the electronic dance music scene, which now kind of, you know, with our roots, we love electronic dance music. I feel like Europe is really known for it. And it finally made its um, debut here in the U.S. probably about a decade ago. I feel like it became more mainstream with Avicii and Swedish House Mafia. And so when I started the blog, I was talking about events and things to do. And all my friends were saying, well, this sounds like you're just talking to me. It's very conversational. It's not like this formal um, writing that you would see in an essay or a novel. And they liked that. And so I decided once that project was done, that I was going to write about the thing that I was the most passionate about, which is beauty. And back then there was really only a couple beauty YouTubers, but they were massive. They were the ones who had like 4 million followers in like 2010. And so they were just huge influences on the internet and specifically YouTube. And Instagram wasn't really a thing yet, but I just started blogging and I was like, you know, maybe people don't want to watch a video that's 40 minutes long. Maybe they just want to read a quick, you know, five minute blog post about this beauty product. 
And that's really kind of what started it all. I did this for a hobby for many years. It was a black hole of money for a long time. I always had another job and I just made it work and I enjoyed doing it. I was blogging at midnight. You know, my friends would think I was crazy. They would say, what are you doing talking to people and strangers on the internet? And lo and behold, now, you know, 2020, we're all talking to strangers on the internet. It's part of how we meet people. It's how we interact on social media. It's how we have conversations. And so the world has really changed and it's been really exciting to see this shift to this more social world. And the thing that I love the most, and you mentioned, you know, I travel a lot for work as well. I don't have to travel and get the experience and also the perspective from people completely on the other side of the world, which is really cool. I can talk to someone in Australia and get their take on something or they can say, oh, I really love this skincare product or I really love doing this. And I think that's the beauty of social media. It really just brings us all together to the point where you don't necessarily have to go somewhere to see someone and you don't have to see them every day in real life in order to be friends, which I've really enjoyed that element of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just thinking to when I first started doing Balkan Bread, all of the people that I've met that I had no expectation really of making like these lifelong friends from doing this. It just kind of started as this almost silly idea. I wasn't really sure where I was going with it, but I knew for a fact it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And I think that's similar to what you're describing with blogging. You know, that's something that you just like to do and that's really important if you want to start something whether it's business or a blog or a youtube channel it has to be something that you really enjoy doing because mm -hmm. if you're just in it for you know a quick buck like it never seems to last and it just it just doesn't work i'll tell you that right away so i think it's great that you mentioned it started out just as a project in college the biggest question that people ask, just kind of piggybacking off that is, you know, how can I make money by the end of the month? And <laughs> there's a lot of ways that, you know, that happens on social media, but it really does not happen overnight. And truthfully, the only people who become successes overnight are those, you know, here in the U.S., the Bachelor um, franchise is very, very common in terms of how you become an overnight success. You show up on the show you know, four days later, once the season starts, you've got 500,000 followers on Instagram because people like who you are on TV. And that's been like the quickest way, honestly. And, you know, some people have even admitted, you know, I just went on The Bachelor because I wanted to get Instagram famous. But that's kind of the only thing. Otherwise, it's, it's going to take time. It's not going to be something that all of a sudden magically you wake up and you have followers and then you can monetize. It just takes building that from the ground up truly and it seems to be a little bit tougher nowadays because there's so many people who want to do this and there's a lot of people on the internet now especially so it's just been it's like I said it's been interesting seeing the shift and I'm just really glad that I started when I did because I feel like you know I had to learn everything on my own there was no book on how do you become an influencer how do you blog how do you do this like how do you um, work with Instagram's algorithm like there's so many resources now that were not available when I started and we were all just kind of like it was the blind leading the blind back then like the girls that I still talk to from way back then we all just look at each other and we're like well we figured all this out you know on our own and we would just talk and say is this going to work is this not going to work and you just kind of rolled with it and the more and more that there's been this ability to monetize, I feel like more of the platforms have also 
stopped being as flexible with us because, you know, Instagram and all these other platforms want to make a piece of that money. They have gotten $0 from me ever monetizing all my content on Instagram. So the way that they do that now is that, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to have people see your content to the full extent that they can. So before everybody who followed me would see my content. Now it's only a small percentage. So you have to pay to play. And so I think that this shift too has kind of helped us understand, okay, we had it really good back then when there wasn't this algorithm issue going against us, but it's also gotten tougher. Like I said, now the people who are doing really well are spending thousands of dollars a month to have their posts be seen just like you do on uh, Facebook. It's the same concept now on Instagram, which a little disheartening, but I mean, I get it. They want to make money too. So it's just been a, a crazy shift with how we consume and see social media on our every day. Yeah, it's changed like so much. It's really crazy just to see now, you know, so many people are doing it right. Whether it's like a fashion blog or they're taking up cooking, I've mm-hmm. seen everything under the sun. So But at the same time, I don't think that should discourage you from starting something because, like I said, if it's something that you really enjoy doing, you should do it anyway. Yes. Find something that really sets you apart from everyone else, even if you believe that maybe you don't know what that thing is right now, because later on, that thing is going to be the reason that people follow you and consume your content and support you if you're just trying to be like everyone else, then I feel like you're not going to get anywhere. At the same time, you know, there's definitely like how you mentioned, there's so many resources out there in terms of learning about social media and what works best on certain platforms and things like that. But at the same time, it's like having something that's truly and uniquely your own is so important now because as they say, everything is getting so saturated. Everyone's trying to make money online. Everyone's doing, you know, quote unquote, the same thing. But I think there's still ways to make it a lot different and to make it your own and make it unique. So starting from the beginning, you know, kind of from the bottom, maybe nobody's really reading your blog or you maybe just have your friends and family are kind of tuning in and slowly working your way up. And obviously there's different ways that you can make money, whether that's through affiliate links or having, you know, paid sponsorships with different brands and things like that. So when did you start to see that transition kind of happen? Or was there one specific opportunity where you were like, oh, wow, like I can actually make some decent money from this? Or did it kind of gradually happen just over time? To be honest with you, I I think it was the latter where I had one brand, and this was, I think, back in 2015, um, if I'm not mistaken, and they said, you know, we want to pay you $50 to review our mask. And back then I was like, $50? I can go to dinner with that. It was just like the most exciting thing. Um, And I just remember that moment of, wow, maybe this could be something, you know? And again, back then it was really only these huge YouTubers who were making any money and they weren't making very much from brands. They were making most of it from views from YouTube. And I just thought this is the craziest thing ever. And I was like, yeah, I'll review the mask. And then I thought, well, am I going to like the mask? (laughs) And so luckily I told him, I said, if I don't like it, I can't talk about it. But if I like it, I will. 
And that's kind of the moment where I realized it could really be a business if I could scale and could understand how to do the business side of things as well. Because that's kind of the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that they think, you know, influencers and bloggers, and there's also a difference between that, those two. I do want to be clear about that because everyone calls themselves a blogger, but most of them don't even have a website. They're just on Instagram. That's an influencer and really an Instagram influencer. In order to be a blogger, you have to write. And that's kind of, there's this distinction. Then you've got YouTubers. And so there's people who are across these different platforms who just say they're bloggers because I think people now know that term more than influencer maybe, but there is a little bit of a distinction. Then you've got Viners and TikTokers, these people who do these like viral loop videos. So it's, there's almost like these mini little industries within the industry, which is kind of cool and people have their own talents. But it was that moment in 2015 that I thought I could really do something with this. And then kind of what happened through 2016 and 2017 is that I started to make a really small salary and I thought, wow, this could, you know, this is nice income. And back then I, like I said, I had a full-time job, so I wasn't really relying on this income. It was just kind of like nice to have putting it in savings type of thing. And then I told myself in 2018, okay, this is really getting to the point where I, I can really live off this. This is like a good income. And then in, I'm trying to think, it was kind of towards the end of 2018 where I told myself if I make more blogging this year than I do at my corporate job, I'm leaving my corporate job. And that was, it was hard to even say that, to be honest, because with a corporate job, you're getting a paycheck every two weeks. And I worked in one of the best industries in tourism. So I got to travel for free and wine and dine my clients, which is like literally a dream job. So it was hard to say goodbye to that job. But when I finally hit that mark, what made the decision for me was the fact that I had two paid blog trips. One was for, it was going to Virginia Beach and kind of staying the weekend in that destination. And then the other one was with one of my favorite skincare brands. And each one required a week of my time. I had no PTO left to my name with my corporate job at that point. And so my fiance and I kind of sat down and we talked about it. And it was kind of that moment of, do I go on these two trips and see where this can take me and, you know, where this goes? Or do I say no to these two trips and then move towards becoming maybe a director in my department? It was really, that was the crossroad. And um, I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> which decision we made in that moment. Um, but it, there, there was definitely a sign. And I think a lot of people oftentimes ask me, what was that sign for you? And it seemed to be very clear to me that I needed to go see and what, what I could do with this and what the possibility was. And I can use this as experience on my resume if I do have to go back to the corporate world. You know, I can say I own my own business, you know. So I thought about that side of things too, because, you know, what if social media doesn't exist in 10 years? We know it will, but it'll be, it'll look different. So yeah, that's kind of what was uh, the decision of how do I just go and do this full time? It was, I gave myself that monetary amount and then I just had to say goodbye to the corporate job because I couldn't do both anymore. Yeah, doing both is extremely exhausting, especially when you can see that one is starting to almost level up with the other one and you're just kind of in this position where you're like, okay, it's great to have these multiple income streams, but at the same time, it's like I also have to sleep and there's no way that I can do 
both things. It's really, really hard. In the beginning, though, I think if you are just starting out, it's probably what you're going to have to do just because you're trying it out. You might not have mm-hmm. a super clear vision of where it's going. So it's good to obviously have the cushion of the full-time job and having the stability. And that's kind of what we're all raised into believing it's like okay we can have this full-time job we can stick with it and we can be good you know that's kind of the end-all be-all for a lot of people which is fine I think at the same time though what people don't realize is that if you really worked at something you can still make just as much if not more working for yourself and it's not to say that that's going to be easy it's not to say that it's going to be 100% consistent all the time however it's 100% possible because I've seen all these different videos and I've listened to other podcasts and one YouTuber in particular that I was watching, she was talking about how she worked um, in consulting. So that was her first job out of college um, working for Accenture. And it was really just like, oh, this is awesome. You know, this is what I want to do, whatever. And then kind of got to a point where her YouTube channel was growing really, really well. And as well as her podcast and all these other things. And she ended up quitting that job to start her own like consulting business and doing all these different things. And she posted a video recently just talking about how think it wasn't necessarily how she left the job but it was just talking about her income streams and she was like yeah I got to the point where she was saving her entire paycheck from her full-time job um just because she was making enough from doing YouTube and other things so by the time it was time for her to quit or she wanted to quit she still had all this money kind of left in savings so Anyway, what I'm trying to say is it's possible having a plan, though, I think is essential if you are, Mm -hmm. you know, leaving that like nine to five kind of world doesn't mean that you're not going to not have to work. You're definitely still going to have to work. It's just going to look different because it can get lonely sometimes you're by yourself working or, you know, you might go on these different trips or things like that. But at the same time, you need to have a lot of self-discipline. I'll tell you that right away if you want to be successful just in this whole kind of self-employed journey. Um, And that doesn't necessarily have to be blogging or YouTube or whatever. It could just be doing freelance. So, you know, if you're a good graphic designer or a writer or um, programmer, like it doesn't matter. There's all these different jobs that you can still do online, which is pretty cool. And I like how you just kind of clarified the difference between the whole blogger and influencer term. I think that's really important to wrap our heads around and understand and kind of mentioned it in the intro of the episode, but just on the whole kind of perception of influencers. So what are your thoughts on just influencer culture in general? And do you have like a love-hate relationship with the term? Does it Is it something that you don't like being called? Because I know I've talked to other people before and they're just like, oh my gosh, that makes me sound like, I don't know how to describe it, but what are your thoughts on that whole topic? So in terms of the culture, that is kind of a love-hate relationship for sure. And you know, something we've touched on offline is the recent Black Lives Matter movement. And I think I'm really glad that we had the movement and more people's eyes are open, but at the same time, it really clearly showed which influencers are just salespeople and which influencers are actually influencing people in a positive way. 
And I think for me personally, I've never been a salesperson. I don't jump on social media and be, I, I don't say, you know, this shirt I'm wearing is $5 and it comes in 65 colors. I have 50 of them, you know, like that's not who I am. But that is kind of the stigma that comes with a lot of influencers because some of the biggest girls in the United States, at least, are these salespeople. So I don't really associate myself with that stigma of social media because that's, like I said, not what I do. I'm here to help people and I share honest reviews and I'm being as real as possible and just showing everyday life and not glamorizing it. You know, there's other people who just show the photos of when they're on a yacht that probably happened once and they're, you know, posting it, making it seem like they do this once a month. And it, that's just not real life. And so I've kind of always stayed away from glamorizing and not just being realistic. So there is a lot of thoughts about, you know, what an influencer is and how entitled we are and selfish and money hungry. And I don't like any of that stuff in general. Um, but I think that there is a really good there's a good community of girls who are doing this to really help people. And they started before there was money to be made. And I think those are the people that we really need to look towards. And I, I don't say this because, you know, I started way back when I just feel like we didn't do this for money. We didn't know we could make money. Now there's people graduating high school and they want to be an influencer because, you know, they see PewDiePie making millions and millions of dollars. And they're like, I want to live like that. I want that kind of money. And I think when money is the main thing that motivates you every day, I don't know that it's necessarily for the right reasons. And so for me, I'm sharing my passion about beauty. I started this and there was no money to be made. I still love beauty and I love trying products. And I don't only share things that I'm being paid to share. I share things because I like them or I don't. You know, sometimes I'll say, this is terrible. This broke me out. And I know it's what broke me out because it's the only thing I changed in my routine after three weeks of using the same stuff. So I do share, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's not the same for everybody. Some people are just sharing because they want to make the quick buck. You know, that's something you mentioned earlier. There's a lot of that going on. So it's kind of hard to know who to trust. But I really think the Black Lives Matter movement really showed you people's true colors. And we've seen that across the board with even companies and brands and different boutiques and places that we shop. A lot of stuff has come out and you're just like, whoa, I've been supporting that this whole time. So I do think the movement has been positive for many reasons, obviously, but I do think that it kind of shed a light to who's going to speak about a real issue and not just talk about their $5 t-shirt that comes in multiple colors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said. I mean, and it's interesting because I remember, oh gosh, when all of that was happening and it's still going on, it's not something mm -hmm. to just like sweeping it under the rug. I'm not trying um, for it to seem like that. It's just kind of at the peak when everything mm -hmm. was first being put into light for everybody. I remember seeing people saying stuff, um, I think, what was it? I think it was Vici Dolls um, Boutique, an online boutique. And yep. <laughs> maybe you posted it, I don't remember. Anyway, and I was just so turned off because I have shopped from them before. I bought like a couple pieces from there. And it was interesting because I remember they first were just saying like, oh, we're sorry, or they didn't really address the issue point blank. And then all of a sudden I saw like, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, and they're posting photos um, of, you know, an African American model, like, okay, now you're like, it, I don't know, I was just like, okay, like, seriously, first, you're not going to address it and then be like, okay, we have to 
almost like hop on the bandwagon because everyone else was addressing it, but like not for the right reason. And that was really like disappointing. And I think that's the thing too. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but you know, influencers are still people, you know, and I think people are going to resonate more with you being real about certain issues that are going on that are affecting people versus talking about, you know, um, a skincare product or a t-shirt or whatever it might be. The people that were ignoring it, it's just like, okay, seriously, come on, you know, it just mm-hmm. make it- it's ironic. You mentioned the boutiques because this is actually, so for me, this topic is not new. It's something I've talked about you know, many times in the past about how we don't, we lack diversity and especially in the fashion space. And as you get into these more fast fashion boutiques, like what you mentioned, Vici dolls, there's a number that I can name off the top of my head, but none of them really were inclusive of anybody. They had the exact same type of girl, which is the stigma that I told you earlier of, you know, the girls who sell, 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 and they don't really seem very real. They've and there's an image. I don't, I don't want to, you know, polarize anybody and make them feel like if they fit into this bubble, they're not a good person, but there's a very specific image of this girl and every single boutique was inviting only this girl on a trip. So when you see these influencer trips, there's six girls, they're almost identical. They all look the same. And guess what? There's no one who's black. There's no one of any Hispanic descent. There's, there's no diversity. It's just white girl, white girl, white girl. And so I think, with these boutiques finally taking a stand. And I saw a lot of large donations being made during this time. I was like, wow, it took you all of this to get you to actually donate some money. And for me, that's, you know, a day late and a dollar short because they should have been including diversity in their influencer trips, in their marketing before this. This shouldn't have been the time for them to basically send in their millions of dollars of guilt money. But hey, I know the black community is happy for it. They'll take it you know, it's kind of like this, you'll take the donations and it's good that they're making a, taking a stand finally, but why did it take years and years of just marketing white girls in order to make this change? You know, it's almost frustrating and I'm obviously not part of the black community, but I'm here, I stand with them and I, I want to be part of that change and I want to educate people, but it's just seeing those boutiques. I was like, oh no, that's guilt money. (laughs) Exactly. And you're just like, and then it makes you not even want to support anything like that. I'm like, nope, I can buy clothes somewhere else. Yeah. There's so many places we can buy clothes. I don't need to support the ones who, and exactly what you said too. one of the girls um, that I talk to all the time, she's, she basically said, wow, look at their feed. They've posted 12 times in two days. And all 12 of the, of those photos are now of black women. Like really, you know, it's, it's just really, um, a sudden shift. And if that doesn't scream guilty to me, I don't really know what does. Pretty much. It's, it's interesting. And I always appreciate brands that are able to be, you know, more inclusive and everything. I worked for Aerie for like four and a half years during Mm -hmm. and like probably one of the most inclusive brands, all of their marketing and everything, if you've ever seen it, it's just Mm -hmm. very on point speaks to every woman and even just working there and having all kinds of women come in and help them you know whether it was find a bra or find a bathing suit it doesn't matter all these different body shapes skin colors you know ages like seriously it was crazy and so I think if you do use that as a marketing tool it can be very powerful just you know as a brand um, in that space especially when it's something you know obviously selling bras and underwear you kind of have to be it's not 
it's not so much as like Victoria's Secret, I guess that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, I'm just saying like there's definitely <laughs> brands out there that mm-hmm. you know, being more inclusive from the get-go, like not just because of what's happened and things like that. Yeah, yeah, they're a great example. I'm glad you brought them up because they deserve kudos for being inclusive since the dawn of time. I mean, they really have led the way and there's been a lot of campaigns that have been really, really powerful. Just seeing not only women of different shapes and sizes, but just from all walks of life, super diverse. I mean, they've done such a great job. And if any brand can take any advice from another brand, it would be Harry. I think they've just really done a great job. Definitely, definitely. So going on into, I guess, just brands in general, or I put on here in this question, top three skincare products, but you could even talk about maybe your skincare routine or whatever is easier. Um, but Top three, girl, uh, there is not top three. There's like a top 300. <laughs> you know, I was looking at your blog and just going through. So how I actually, I stumbled upon your blog. I was looking for um, into trying some of the Drunk Elephant products and I just- oh, that's right. That's right. Came across your blog post and I was like, okay, great. I'm gonna try like the um, proteiny, like polypeptide cream, and love it. It's great. They have some other great products that I definitely want to try. So um, I know there's a lot that's out there. So it can be products or brands or just anything that you want to talk about or recommend someone listening. <laughs> yeah. So skincare is really um, unique to every single person. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about skincare. You know, some people think it's like voodoo magic. They don't really need to do it. And they would just love to use a Dove body soap on their face. Please don't do that. (laughs) Um, And I think the other thing too that I'll mention is that a lot of people think that they have a certain skin type today that they had 10 years ago. And that's really not the case. You know, when we were younger, you tend to be more oily and more acne prone, have combination skin when you're younger because of hormones and you're eating um, really unwell typically. I mean, in college, I think I lived off chicken tenders and beer. So that's obviously coming out in your skin. And so the skin I had in college, which was very oily and more greasy, is not the skin I have today. My skin is definitely kind of tending to be more dry nowadays. And I do live in the desert, so that's one part of it. The other thing, too, is that typically as you age, your skin tends to get drier. That's just the typical person. So you kind of start off in oily phase, and then you go into drier the older you get. And again, that's not everybody, but that's just kind of the common way that your skin goes. And so if you were using a certain type of skincare when you were 18, you really shouldn't be using that at 25, let's say, because your skin has changed. And so that's kind of the biggest piece is that it's constantly evolving and you may go through dry seasons and you may go through oily seasons. So you kind of want to adjust things based on the season as well. And the three brands I think that I always, always, always talk about are Dr. Dennis Gross. He is out of New York City. He has a practice um, on Fifth Ave that he's been, he's had that for a long time, but he ended up creating the skincare brand because everybody loved the products he was using and he would only use his products on his clients. And so they said, well, can I buy this mask or can I, you know, have this serum? And so he saw a need and he made the brand love his stuff. He's a doctor. Um, He's really good at everything he does. And he does a lot of um, fillers and Botox and all that other stuff. But really the core of his practice is skincare and figuring out how to fix your skin. Because while you can always do filler and Botox and surgeries, 
you don't need to go to that extent if your skincare is good. And I think that's kind of the biggest piece too, is that there are really cool devices and ways that you can tone your face and you don't have to get a facelift. So my goal personally is to not have to do any of these like surgery type things. It's really just to focus on skincare and how I can plump up my face without having to go to these extreme measures. I think if I get to the place where I need this extreme surgery type of situation, I just haven't really done a good job with my day-to-day skincare. So that's my goal. Um, We'll check back in when I'm 60 and see how that went. (laughs) We'll see if I did the right thing so I didn't have to go to, you know, a crazy extreme. But um, Dr. Dennis Gross is the best. And then Kiehl's, I think, is a really common one that people have heard of. It's been around for a very long time. It was one of the first apothecaries, I think, towards the end of the 1800s. I think their first apothecary, I may be wrong on the timing, but it was like 1875 or somewhere around there. So they've been making skincare products for a very long time, well before anybody else has. And I think that brand comes out with amazing things. Their Midnight uh, Recovery Concentrate is incredible. It's probably one of my favorite products and the one that made them really famous. And then I love Drunk Elephant. I think Drunk Elephant is super accessible. Um, You can find that at Sephora. Um, So it's just a very accessible brand for us. They have a lot of cute marketing as well. And typically for someone who loves skincare, I tend to shy away from like the really pretty marketing and pretty labels because typically what that means is that they put a lot of money into the packaging and that basically led them to not put as much money into the formula. With Drunk Elephant, that's really not the case. Their vitamin C serum is actually one of the best I've tried, and it's a lot cheaper than some of the other ones like SkinCeuticals, which is, I think, in the 150 range, which is very expensive. You know, when people don't even really believe in skincare, for them to spend that kind of money on one tiny little, you know, tiny little package is a lot. So... I think those are kind of the three. I, I love um, SkinCeuticals as well. I love PCA Skincare, which is based here out of Arizona. And I think I tend to go for the more professional brands. So really, Drunk Elephant is kind of over here. It's not really made by a professional. Um, obviously, they have a team of professionals, but it's not a doctor brand. It's not a professional skincare brand that like a dermatologist would use. Whereas PCA skincare, SkinCeuticals, Dr. Dennis Gross, um, those are all more medical grade, I would say. They're more professional. And so I tend to trust those a little bit more. Um, and yeah, a lot of people have asked me, you know, is the higher price point going to make the skincare better? You know, I'm still trying to figure out how the ordinary can be so cheap, $5 for a vitamin C serum, and then you've got some that are $200. i am trying to figure out what they're doing that makes it so cheap, and I haven't gotten to the bottom of it. Obviously, they're not going to tell me that, and I've just been trying to read up on how because I know it's not as effective. I've already kind of read into the fact that their molecular buildup within their serums is much more diluted, which is why it's so much cheaper. The stronger your levels are of any acid or any type of ingredient in some of these medical grade ones, like a SkinCeuticals, for example, the stronger that is, the more expensive it is to create and the harder it is to keep it actually preserved long enough to get it actually in the market for people to buy. And it's kind of why you see these really ugly bottles for some of my favorite brands, it's like a really ugly bottle and it's like this black bottle. You can't even see what's inside. But the reason that the bottle is so dark is because it needs to keep the formula inside cool. And the best way to do that long term is to keep the bottle as dark as possible. And so you kind of see where marketing starts to have this weird shift of like, if it's super cute and calling to you, 
typically not made in the best way. It's not going to have as long of a shelf life. So I'm still, again, trying to figure out why The Ordinary is so cheap in their glass white bottle and why some of these other ones are just so expensive. And I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. Yeah, I was just thinking about The Ordinary. So it's funny that you brought it up. I did, I purchased one of their serums. I haven't really tried any that are like more on this higher end, like you were describing. Um, But so far from not using like a vitamin C serum before, I can definitely notice some kind of difference. I think Mm -hmm. if I got something that was, you know, formulated by um, a doctor professional, then it would definitely um, be more noticeable. I just have a lot of acne scarring. So that's kind of Mm -hmm. my thing in terms of just trying to get it back to not normal, but it almost looks like I have acne. And then it's really just these spots that have kind of... So um, that's interesting. I have the same issue with the dark spots and vitamin C is a great way to help that because vitamin C does have a brightening element to it. So it's going to help make them less noticeable over time. So it makes sense that you're seeing a difference just for using vitamin C, but the stronger those percentages and levels are, the more, the quicker you're going to see results and the more your face is going to look bright. And so for me, I was just recommending this product to my best friend's husband, because he's shopping for her birthday. And I was like, she asked for vitamin C. This is the best one on the market. It's so expensive. I know, you know, I was like, sit down before I send you the link, <laughs> but it, it's just the best. And it's the SkinCeuticals C and E ferulic acid. If I don't use that, my skin just looks dull and blah the next day. But if I use it, so much brighter, plumper, just looks so good. And that's the one that you see an instant effect versus some of these other ones are good, Mm -hmm. but they just don't have that instant element to it. And so the drunk elephant one is also very good. I do like it. It's a little bit more oily. I wouldn't want to put that underneath my makeup just because of how oily it is, but it's still a good one. I like to use that one at nighttime. So I have kind of different serums that I like to use morning, night, depending on, is this going to be okay under makeup? Is it not? Am I trying to get sun protection? So there's, there's a lot of variables of what I use, but I just love to test skincare in particular because I feel like makeup will look good if your skin looks good and healthy. If your skin isn't really in the best place, makeup can only do so much, you know? Exactly. 100%. You have to have that good foundation before you can even put any you know, makeup on top of it. That's, that's very true. That's something my mom would always say. She worked at Clinique for, I think, eight or nine years. It's a long time ago. But anyway, she didn't know like anything about makeup or skincare when she first started. And then slowly over time, kind of learning the basics and becoming familiar with their products. And that's something that she always said, like, even if people were coming in shopping for, you know, makeup foundation, it was also just making sure their skin was in that spot as well. So what about like anti-aging products? Is there a good time to start using those or is it just kind of like later on in your 20s or what is is there I don't know is there a good time for for that to start I'm actually glad you asked this because this kind of brings me to this whole point of hyaluronic acid and I feel like hyaluronic acid has been having a moment recently and the thing is is hyaluronic acid helps your skin retain moisture like a thousand times more than it would if it didn't have the hyaluronic acid. So it's really helping your skin hold on to hydration. Mm -hmm. However, the way that this has been marketed is that you need hyaluronic acid or hyaluronic serum or something of that nature. They're not telling you that that 
hydration needs to come from somewhere. So yes, hyaluronic acid syrup helps your skin retain moisture, but where is the moisture going to come from if your skin is dry? So the way things are marketed, a lot of the times, I mean, this is in every industry, you think, oh my gosh, I need that hyaluronic acid. And then you're like, but wait, I also need something super hydrating, either an oil of some kind or a really heavy, deep cream. Because like I said, the hydration has to come from somewhere. If your skin is so dry and you put hyaluronic acid serum on it, it could actually have the complete opposite effect. It could dry you out even more because your skin can't pull hydration from anywhere. So that is kind of one thing that I always like to mention is, yeah, of course it's great. It retains moisture which is what you want when it comes to anti-aging. You really want to keep your skin as hydrated as you possibly can because the more hydrated your skin is, the less likely you're going to wrinkle and those wrinkles aren't going to form as deeply as they would if your skin was dry. Now, the thing about that is you want to have the hyaluronic acid serum, but you also want to make sure you're using an oil. And again, some people who may have some type of issue with oil and combination skin are afraid to use oil, but I don't know if you know this. I feel like I always amaze people when I tell them this, but if you have really oily skin, that actually means that your skin is dry because and your body is trying to create oils in order to soothe your skin so it's not quite so dry. And that's kind of why we see that a lot when we're younger because we're not taking care of our skin. We may maybe be washing it you're not really using a lot of moisturizers. I mean, I can only tell you what I did when I was like 16 and I was sleeping in my makeup overnight. You know, I wasn't really like moisturizing. I definitely wasn't using any oils or serums. Goodness, that started <laughs> after college, I would say. And so what your skin is doing is producing oils based on the things that you've consumed. And if you're eating really poorly, basically that greasiness of chicken tenders and beer and French fries is coming out on your face, which is causing those breakouts. So having an oil keeps you super hydrated and it's giving your skin that oil that it does need. And then in turn, it won't produce oil on its own. So that's kind of a reverse psychology of how your body works when it's actually feels greasy. It's technically really dry and your body's really just trying to compensate for that. And I think with anti-aging, like I said, you just need to stay super hydrated. There's a lot of things that you can do to help your skin go upwards. And something that I always recommend is that when you're putting any sort of moisturizer, serums, oils, all of that, you always want to massage upwards. A lot of the times, for some reason, our habit is to put our products in a downwards motion. And over time, gravity is pulling our skin down anyway. So what you want to do is when you're actually using moisturizer and creams, you want to go in a circular motion, but upwards. Push your skin up because that's going to help stimulate some collagen in there. And you really want to have more motion where you're pushing your face up because it's already, like I said, gravity's already bringing it down. The more you can push your face up, the better off you're going to be. And so with that, I'm actually looking at my device here from um, New Face, which is a sculpting tool. And you go upwards and you basically push all of your skin in an upward circular motion. So your cheekbones kind of right on your chin. And you're basically stimulating that upwards motion for your face five to 10 minutes a day. That small difference is so much more than most people do throughout their entire life, and that does make a big difference. I can all, always see in my cheeks in particular when I use this device, it's instant. You, you just see that your cheeks look plumper, and it's basically like um, exercise for your face, if you will. If you're doing this motion, it's like five to ten minutes is better than nothing, and over time, it does really make a difference. So I think those are kind of the two things is always – 
apply in an upwards motion and stay as hydrated as possible because that's really the biggest key in keeping your skin looking the youngest it can because hydration just helps overall. Yeah, drink your water and then like definitely just, it's kind of something you always hear. It's like, oh, you know, don't eat all that junk food. It's going to break you out kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I was surprised. I think there was one period of time where I really wasn't having any dairy or meat. I was trying to do like the vegan thing. And I think it was very short lived. It was probably like a month long, but I did notice a huge difference in my skin um, just from not having all of that dairy. And even now to this day, I still kind of opt for alternatives. So I'll get all my milk or whatever it might be as a substitute. Um, mm-hmm. I really love cheese, but I, I do my best to <laughs> make sure that I'm hydrated and then, you know, eating healthy and things like that. So Yeah, you know, that's been a good thing that you mentioned. For me personally, so I, I make certain lifestyle choices that I don't want to change. And for me, I love wine. Um, and that's not, and that's not something I'm ever going to give up. And so obviously we know with alcohol that dehydrates your skin. I mean, it dehydrates your whole body. So it's not good for your skin. The day after you drink a bottle of wine, you feel like poo-poo and your skin looks like poo-poo. So for me personally, I really love this idea of actually doing everything right with skincare and even going a little bit of above and beyond, because I know that for me, I do love cream in my coffee. I do love water, so I don't really have an issue with drinking water, but I also love wine. And I know it's going to dehydrate me. It's going to cause, I basically try to compensate more so in the skincare side so I can't have wine, if that makes sense. But you're absolutely right. You may not do a hundred different products every year and you may not even want to do a three-step skincare routine, but if you don't drink, you don't eat dairy, you don't eat a lot of meat, you don't really, you may not need as much skincare in your life, but just knowing the average person, we all love a little bit of indulgence. And so that's where I think helping, you know, with skincare and being a little bit more of a proactive measure is really what I'm about. I think that's a really good point, though, that you brought up, because there's a lot of things that cause skin issues on top of just, you know, mm-hmm. the regular day to day environment and the pollutants that are out there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on the person. It's like, and that's the thing too. People are like, oh, I'm going to be vegan or I'm going to do this. And like, that's great. Like if that's your thing, do it. But it's like, for me, I can't give up like chicken. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, or steak, I should say. Um, that's just not going to happen. But like you said, there's definitely ways where you can kind of combat that and counteract it. Make sure you're drinking water. Or I used to do the whole thing. I need to like get back into these habits. I'm like, oh, I used to do this thing. And it was really <laughs> not anymore still drink a lot of water but what I would do is first thing when I woke up is have like apple cider vinegar and lemon in my water and then mix that up and that was like oh I tried that oh that is a that is a rough thing (laughs) it has so many benefits it's great Mm -hmm. but it just tastes like crap so it's terrible I actually tried to do a shot once and I almost gagged so I was like this is going in water a big old cup of water and you know it obviously dilutes it and you're absolutely right it's great for balancing your pH before you have like all the acidic things you're going to eat that day whether it's you know you start your morning with coffee etc but man does that taste terrible (laughs) yeah not taste my dad he was the one that first started buying it why are you buying this and then he's like make these different like 
mixtures of things that were, you know, with all these health benefits and you would take like a spoonful of it in the morning. I don't even know. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Um, anyway, I think those are really great recommendations and there's a lot that goes into skincare. Obviously people can find out more on your blog and your Instagram, things like that. So before we kind of wrap up the episode, just For anyone who's listening, who's thinking about starting a blog or becoming an influencer instead or YouTuber or whatever it might be, what pieces of advice would you give to them? I think the biggest piece of advice is kind of um, something we touched on earlier. And I would say to do it because of what you said, you know, you're passionate about something you really love a certain topic. Let's just, I'm going to use the example of being a chef because I feel like there's so many amazing recipes, but there's so much room for more. If you're just so passionate about creating these really cool recipes, do it because you love it. And over time, people will find you and there may be an opportunity to monetize. But my biggest piece of advice is not to just start something that you're going to lose passion over over a certain period of time. You know, if you can't talk, if you can't imagine talking about this every day for the rest of your life, I would say that maybe you're not doing it for the right reason. And you have to be thoughtful about how you do it. Because like I said, if people are doing something for money, you're not necessarily doing it for the right reason. Of course, we all need to make a living, but you really need to be so passionate about a certain topic that just excites you every day. If in, you know, a week, you're just like, I don't really want to talk about food anymore that's not for you. You know, find a topic that you can really hone in on and be an expert in, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just need to have something unique about your concept and your ideas, but there is so much space for more people in the space. I mean, there's topics that there is no one talking about already that I can just think of, and off the top of my head, I just feel like there's not a lot of um, really good gardening blogs. And the only reason I mention this is because we've been planting and my fiance loves to plant. And so I'm looking at these blogs online and the photo quality, there's like no photos anywhere. The instructions are hard to read. And I'm like, why doesn't someone create a really helpful, like beautiful gardening blog? So there's definitely space. I just think you really need to be passionate about what it is and understand that you're not going to make money in the beginning. It takes a while but it is definitely possible. And it's just got to be something that you're going to wake up every day and be like, I want to write a blog post today just for the reason that I love this topic, not for, you know, just because I want to make money or just because I want something for free. You just got to do it for the right reasons. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. And then once you start doing that, then all of those opportunities will kind of fall into place. Mm -hmm. They have a way of finding you, even if you think, you know, that you're not discoverable, those opportunities have a way of finding their way to you. And I think kind of on the flip side of that too, you know, once you figure out what your passion is, if this is something you do want to pursue, you, you do need to be consistent. You can't disappear for two months and then come back and be like, Hey, here's, you know, a new recipe. You really have to be consistent and kind of treat it as a job and give people that content to look forward to once you have people who are actively reading. So you kind of, yeah, it's, you want to be passionate about it, but you also need to be pretty consistent and treat it in a professional way if you want to. You know, if you're just doing it as a hobby and it's just your friends, just do it for fun. But if you want to get serious and get to that next level, that consistency is going to be really important. Yeah, consistency is key because 
like you said, if you're doing so great all of a sudden and then you vanish, you know, for a month or something, people are going to be like, well, whatever happened to that brand or that person and stuff like that. So even if things aren't, you know, necessarily going the best or maybe you're having, I don't know, low engagement on posts or you're like, why are, am I losing followers or what, what's going on here? I mean, that kind of comes to a point where you maybe just need to do like an analysis of how you can put out better content or content that serves your audience in a better way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just taking a step back and then like still being consistent with it is important. It's okay if you want to take a break from social media. I've seen people do that as well. And I think that's important because it can be a lot after a while, especially if it is your job. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just need to like delete Instagram because it's just, it's a lot. Like there's so much going on. And so I think blocking off time is also important, but at the same time, it's like finding this balance between the two. Yeah. I think finding the balance of just being passionate, but also kind of, yeah, professional in the sense of like consistency long-term is going to be the best recipe. But again, the other thing that I have noticed even here locally, I would say in my state is that there's people who want to do this and they call themselves, you know, an influencer blogger, but yeah, they don't create content consistently at all. It's like once a month or twice a month. And I feel like that's just, it's not going to go far because people don't know what to expect from you. It's too sporadic. So I think what you're doing with the podcast and with everything that you have going on with Balkan Bread is consistent it's professional. And that's really where you find success once you know you're going the business route. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it'll take time for sure, but just, just do something like that's the thing where I was recording this podcast with my friend, um, Ken on, and he was wearing the shirt and it said, just like, do something like that's all his shirts. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I love that because I feel like so many people just sit around and don't do anything or they just talk about ideas. And I'm like, no, like there's so many ideas. There's so many things that you could do, but the difference is the person who actually takes that step and actually does it. And then you're left thinking like, oh, why didn't I do that? Like, I see how successful they are or something, which you can be successful too. I mean, we all kind of have to support each other in that sense, but definitely just make a plan, do your best to stick to it. It's not going to be perfect um, the entire way, but just stick to it. And if it's something you love, you will stick to it. Like there's no question about it. So um, let's see. Okay, I guess this is kind of the last like fun question. Um, so a favorite place your blog has taken you, so travel destination wise, and I guess, could you give us like a synopsis of these work trips and typically like how all of that kind of falls into place? Because I'm sure if it's with a particular brand, they probably have some kind of schedule mapped out for everyone on the trip, but how does that typically work and what does that look like from a work and also like a pleasure standpoint? So trips are kind of all over the board. I usually take, you know, in a world that doesn't have COVID, (laughs) I will take three or four trips just to New York City each year. That's kind of a minimum because New York City is really where a lot of the brands I work with are based and it's kind of their headquarters. So what I do is I go there and that's a trip that I plan on my own. 
I have a lot of business meetings. I'm talking about partnership opportunities, new launches they have, et cetera. So that's more of just like straight business trip. It's typical, you know, what most people do when they go on a business trip. They just have a bunch of meetings. Mine are just a little more fun because we eat all day. It's like you meet somebody for breakfast, then brunch, then you go to their office and I look at their new products and then we go get coffee and then it's drinks. It's like a very fun business type of trip. Um, and then I have trips where um, I'll do something that's more PR related. So when I go to LA, you know, on the flip side of that, less business, more of this film TV production type of thing where I'll go and have a bunch of interviews and I'll be on a bunch of podcasts. I'll be a guest on their show, on their YouTube channel, whatever it is. That's more of like a PR trip. So it is more businessy. I feel like I have to be kind of my best self during those. So I don't really say anything wrong or, you know, that just that I'm more professional and I'm dressed well, all of that. So that's another type of trip. And then the trips that you're kind of talking about with brands, those are um, sporadic. Obviously, none have happened this year um, because of everything going on. But usually they have an itinerary. And I would say the typical time frame for those trips is three days. If we're going international, it's four or five days, just depending. You know, obviously, if you have to travel quite a bit, um, they're not going to just make you come back in two days. So they'll have an itinerary, which is usually packed with a lot of different activities and you go to different events and you'll usually have some kind of breakfast, lunch, and dinner in there. And then an activity in the morning, activity in the afternoon, you'll have a little bit of downtime before dinner to like catch up on content, that type of thing, check your emails, and then you'll have a dinner event, whether that's, you know, dinner or drinks and dinner or, you know, dinner and some kind of event or show, um, just kind of depends. But those are really fun. Usually you're getting a really nice deep dive into whatever the new launches that the brand has. So typically for me, I've gone on beauty trips. I've never been on a fashion-based trip. Um, in that sense with the brand, because obviously my, my uh, whole MO here is skincare and beauty. So we're usually doing this trip alongside a new product launch. And so sometimes, um, for example, last fall, I went to Mexico with Herbal Essences and their whole new line that launched January of this year was specific to aloe vera. And so aloe vera is huge in Mexico. It grows really well in that humid climate. And so we went to some botanical gardens and we learned how to basically cut an aloe vera plant. And so this is very um, timely because yesterday I went to Sprouts and I actually got a fresh aloe vera like plant. And now I'm like, okay, we have to cut it a very certain way because there is a piece of the plant. It's like this yellow goo that if it touches your skin and you kind of rub it in along with the aloe vera, it will make you go to the bathroom. It's going to be like a diarrhea type of situation. So you have to be very careful with the actual aloe vera plant. And so that type of stuff is so interesting to me. Like when we learned that during the trip, I was blown away. I didn't know that before, you know? And so it's really cool knowledge to be able to like immerse yourself into a destination, learn about something that's special there. And then how is that product used, or I should say ingredient used in the product that you're going to ultimately get on the shelf. So those trips are really fun. And then there's other trips that are more based around events. So for me, I am still, you know, in the fashion world, I'm not really a fashion icon. I'm not, you know, people don't come to me for fashion advice, but I would say I do love fashion. I have a passion for it. And so New York Fashion Week is typically 
um, one that I go to. And last fall, I ended up going to London Fashion Week as well as Paris Fashion Week. And so that's another event where there is a lot of events happening during the time period that you're in the destination. There's obviously fashion runway shows, but there's a lot of brand activations because they know there's more influencers and celebrities and people of interest during this time frame. So they end up having, you know, launch parties and they try to launch their product around that time frame. And so um, those are also fun. And I, I do prefer, you know, it kind of depends. If someone told me, you know, you're going to Hawaii, um, you know, with Dr. Dennis Gross next week, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's the best thing ever. And then sometimes I do kind of like this idea where I don't have a true itinerary and I can kind of decide, am I going to go to this event or am I not? Because when you're going with a brand and you say I'm going, you, you have to stick to their itinerary. Like you can't pick and choose and be like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do the horseback riding, but I'm not going to do the educational seminar. Like you have to do it all. And so I, I kind of like almost the flexibility of me making my own schedule for the trips that I do go on, if that makes sense. So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's been interesting. And I think the coolest place, and this is a tough one because I feel like the place that I went to was originally for my corporate job and it was Norway. And for me personally, obviously Bosnia is cold in the winter. Um, I hate the cold. I could never ever live in like Boston. I love Boston. I love New York city, but I can't deal with the cold. That is just not how I want to live my life. So I was blown away by Norway and the fact that I've been there like three times when it's cold, cold. And when you think of Norway, you're literally thinking of Vikings and you're thinking of snow, like so much snow, feet and feet of snow. And for me to have liked that destination and enjoyed it blew me away. And so I think that was kind of the most special one. And we've gone back many times, but I think it was on the third time that my fiance proposed in Norway. And so that's, that country has just a very special significance to me, but I also just love the people. They are so kind. They are so educated. They're just like a great, like, it's just a great country. I can't say enough good things about Norway. And I feel like oftentimes people write it off, you know, because they know Sweden a little bit more. So when you're thinking about the Scandic countries, you tend to think, okay, well, Sweden is more well-known. I should go to Sweden. And no, no, go to Norway. <laughs> Norway is awesome. And I've also loved Iceland as well. But yeah, I just, I was blown away. Honestly, I thought I would just want to be in Greece and Italy. But when I went to Norway, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I love this country. Everything's so clean. You can eat like in a bus and not feel like you're going to die of like some disease. I mean, it was just crazy to see the cleanliness and just the kind people. So sorry, that was a long tangent. <laughs> no, no, that's great. And I'm sure people listening have cousins in one of those countries probably. <laughs> There's actually, um, it's crazy, there's Bosnian people living in Iceland, which I had no idea about, but it is indeed a thing. Um, so literally we're everywhere, it's crazy. But I think, too, going somewhere that's so different from your everyday kind of routine, mm -hmm. wow, like you're mesmerized by everything. You're like, this is so cool. Like, you know, just going back to Arizona, me and my mom went for the first time back in February, and we're like, oh my gosh, look at all these cactuses, <laughs> like, <laughs> because we're used to, like, I mean, Georgia, like, Atlanta is literally, like, in a forest, you know, it's mm -hmm. so different, so then when you go somewhere where it's the complete opposite, 
every little thing you're like this is so cool but obviously living there you're so used to it you're like oh well yeah duh. like they're everywhere you know <laughs> so I know I love the greenery that the south has and obviously I mean the east coast is very green too it's always just amazing to see all the forest because like you said here it's just dirt and a lot a lot a lot of cacti and like these trees that kind of you feel like are dead but like they thrive in the desert you're kind of confused you're like shouldn't there be more leaves <laughs> so it's just you're absolutely right it's not the norm for me so I love it but you know the interesting thing too that I noticed and kind of read up on about Norway too is that the Gulf Stream actually makes it be not as miserable of a cold um, because so I've been to Boston. Boston actually used to be one of my clients when I was in the tourism space and I'd been there many times and it's just like a bitter cold. Like when the wind blows, it feels like it's hurting the inside of your body, like your bones actually hurt. And it's hard to explain, but I feel like maybe people in Chicago who when that wind blows, it just feels like it's blowing through your soul. It's it's just hard to explain. But in Norway, you're cold, but it's not that bitter like I, I don't ever want to go back outside cold. Do you know what I mean? It's like this difference of how the wind blows and it's just not as miserable. And I think what, from what I read, the Gulf Stream actually keeps it from being that like nasty bitterness. So maybe that's why I kind of liked the cold and being in this jacket, but like not super uncomfortable. I don't know. I may not be making sense. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, hey, that could be true. I mean, it, it's that the kind of cold is like, or when it's just rainy all the time. Um, I have family that lives in Newcastle in England. Mm -hmm. That's literally how it is like, like all year almost. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's even in the dead of summer, I'm like, oh my God, it's like 50 degrees. What is this? You know, it's so different. But I know. So when the sun shines in England, everyone's like, it's a good day. Uh, <laughs> Here well, I'm like, if, it's not sunny. Something's wrong. <laughs> we have like 350 days of sunshine um, in Arizona. It's crazy. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's just a different, different uh, every day. Like what's normal here is not normal for you and vice versa. So it's just different places, which all have their own unique element. And I think that's the beauty of travel. You get a new perspective, you get a new experience and you get to meet people with completely different life experiences, completely different ideologies. And I think that's been the coolest part about travel. And I'm excited to finally travel, hopefully soon. I mean, I, I hope it will get better and people will feel more comfortable because the airports are still empty from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. I think so too. I think there's just maybe airline was I reading? I think American Airlines for some reason, like a lot of people have been flying with them. So all of those flights have been pretty like packed, but I think mm -hmm. flying Delta or Southwest, like, I don't think there's that many people that are actually traveling. So yeah, I can't wait for everyone's like, I can't wait for it to be, you know, back to normal. I don't think it's going to be normal, but at least to just, you know, get on a plane and go somewhere, like it'll definitely be different in terms of like, just how I go about packing and the whole travel, you know, process mm -hmm. is going to look different, um, which is fine. I think as long as we're still able to go places, then you know, that's okay. I actually just saw somebody have their wedding um, last week, I want to say. Um, she's in Ohio. So it seems like things are really getting more normal. But, you know, with everything and, you know, this virus is actually really bad in Arizona now because, you know, we're, we were basically like Florida. As soon as we were told, you don't, you know, you can go outside and do whatever you want. We opened like everything right away. We didn't have this phased approach. We were just like, it's all open. 
have fun. Um, so now the cases are really high. But um, I think the thing is, is when we think about flu season, and that's coming pretty swiftly here now. I mean, we're we're halfway. What is it? We're almost to July. So we are in July, basically. <laughs> like it's the end of June. It's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, September, October hits, and winter starts. There's probably going to be another wave. So we'll see what happens. I think this is kind of just the new norm. We live in a world where this virus exists and we're going to have to figure out how to live through it and hopefully not lose too many people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just being, making, there's no way to really tell, like, you know, no decision I think is going to be perfect when it comes to deciding whether or not you're going to travel and go somewhere. It's, it all kind of like ends up being on you and what is best, you know, thinking about obviously people around you and mm-hmm. stuff like that but it has to make sense like you know maybe like taking like a beach vacation with your friend like probably not the best idea right now but if you need to be like close to your family or something and you've been self-isolating then I can understand that like traveling mm-hmm. back home so yeah it really just depends I think on the whole situation and things like that but I think in all of this that's going on it's definitely the fact that everybody one way or the other but I'm hoping that you know there's still ways where we can all find enjoyment and you know just be connected stay connected um kind of enjoy the little things so to speak just because I think when you are cooped up it can kind of all seem very mundane and like the same thing every yeah. day <laughs> you just have to find different ways to change it up and just have fun with it like I don't know it, it's challenging I'm not saying it's easy but definitely possible so um let's see so that was the last question aside from just the whole outro and everything is there anything else that you wanted to add for anybody listening I don't think so I think um, we talked about a lot of important things here a lot of important things and I think that's kind of the biggest piece is I'm very open to having conversations with people even if they don't agree with me or any of that. But I think the thing too is not all skincare is going to work for everyone. You know, something that works really well for me may not work well for somebody else because like I said, skincare is kind of, it's very unique to the individual and your lifestyle and all the things we mentioned. So yeah, I think we've covered it all. Awesome. Well, thank you to everyone listening. And then I will have all of your links in the show notes for this episode. So that way it's easy to find your Instagram and your website and your podcast and all of that good stuff. So that will be in the show notes of this episode. And as always, if you guys are interested in being featured on an upcoming episode, or if you know someone that would be a good guest, definitely send an email to hello at falconbread.com. So Thank you so much, Adeleta, for being on this episode. Really enjoyed just hearing your story and all of those fun kind of skincare and blocker bits as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting back and forth. I feel like we could be talk- like we could talk forever. So <laughs> it's just been really, really nice to go back and forth. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And thank you guys again for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye everyone.